from God that he doesn't know. He sees everything from the moment we were conceived, even before then, to, the, to, to, even, to even now, and, and to all the sins that we will ever sin. You know us, and yet you still love us. And the, the welcome at the door was just a, a dim reflection of the welcome of Jesus, who says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So I pray that the good news of the gospel would capture our hearts so that we know that we are welcomed despite of our sin and our suffering and the tragedy that's happened to us and around us and even the sin that we've contributed to the tragedy that's going on in this world. We pray that we would understand the welcome of Christ is for us and that we would extend that welcome to others. So, Father, I, I pray that, um, that you would help us to be a gospel people, a people of the gospel, for the gospel, uh, spreading the gospel, that, that we would, God, be in awe of you, the God of the universe who sent his son to die for our sins. And, God, that we would learn uh, to apply this gospel, this good news that, that Jesus redeems sinners to our lives, to our sins. So help us even this morning as we open your word. God, I pray for our, our gospel partners that you would help them do the same. We thank you for Northwest Hills Church there in North Corvallis, and we pray for your help as they open your words of life and they gather in, in, in unity around the good news of Jesus Christ. And then as they spread out to the community, will they take your love to, the, to our friends and neighbors and coworkers and family in this city and beyond. God, we not only ask that you would do that for Northwest Hills, but God, we, just as a God who hears and answers all of our prayers, God, we, we pray for those in our medical community, the nurses and doctors, those who are training to be in the medical field, the first responders, and, and those who work in hospitals. God, this has been a hard, a hard few years, even more than normal, and we just want to acknowledge that. And we, we want you, Father, to, to be a help to our friends who, who are giving their lives to help other people with their, their medical problems and, and sickness and brokenness that is a, just a part of this broken world. Use them to show that you are bringing your redeeming love to fix things. And I pray that that redeeming love, the good news of the gospel, would be fixing their own hearts as they struggle with exhaustion bitterness and, 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 and hardness and, and wondering why people treat them like they do. I, I pray that you would grant them grace and joy, that the joy of the Lord would be their strength. And Father, we ask that you would do that for those in the medical community and, 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 and our students and uh, stay-at-home moms and, and working moms and and those who are uh, engineers among us, those who are uh, computer in, in, the compu in the field of computer science. And uh, God, we ask that you, you would be working in us this re new reality that we are a new man. We are, we are, we are new humanity. And, and so that that love would spread out to others. God, and we thank you for even the fundraiser uh, 
the, for Global Missions on Friday and the work that you did through it. And we pray that the money that was raised would be used to, uh, to start gospel conversations in churches in, in remote places. So we ask that you would do all of that because uh, you are drawing people from every tribe and tongue and language uh, to yourself in, in order to make your, your grace and your glory and your holiness known. So we pray that you would use that time to glorify yourself and to bring people in to show the love of Christ. And God, we pray that uh, you would open our eyes to see Jesus, who is more beautiful than we can imagine. As we look at some hard things regarding sin, we pray that uh, we would look beyond them to Jesus, who became sin for us, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We, we pray that as we, we deal with these, that you would show us Christ. Your, your words are wonderful. They're, they're full of life. And so where else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And we ask that you would help us see Jesus and, and make him known to us, that we might make him known to others. So I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, and the second Adam who is making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I should have mentioned before, but just before I get into the sermon, uh, Stumpy's was on Friday. Our global missions night was on Friday, and uh, w- we were able to raise more money than we've ever raised before, so praise the Lord for that. I think it was around $4,000, so uh, praise God for his work, and we're just praying that he would, he would use that for, for his glory. So if you, if you missed it, uh, you missed uh, a show from Sean and Sean. Uh, they're amazing uh, instrumentalists. You miss Silly Songs with Logan, which was amazing as well. You also are amazing instrumentalists. Good job. Uh, you also missed uh, your pastor and Blake almost keel over from, from doing uh, up-downs uh, a competition. But we did it. We made it. We're here. And so praise God for that. Uh, so as we transition now into the sermon, Colossians 3, 5 through 11, I just wanted to ask you a question. What do you think the hardest part of being a Christian is? I thought I was really good at it, but being a dad and a, a, a pastor, being a husband has shown me how bad I am at it. It's something we all know we should do, but if we're honest, it's really, really hard. It's something uh, people call sanctification or holy living. Uh, how, how do we live a holy life? Uh, becoming a Christian is, is wonderful, and it takes a, a miracle for God to do that, to open our eyes and, and make us see Christ and trust him and repent of our sin. And then as we go on in the Christian life, we realize, wow, this is hard work. You know, learning... It's, it's learning to apply the gospel to every area of your life, including your sin. Now, I, man, I, I just, if I was talking to Bridget about this all week and others that, th- I don't, this passage was just really hard for me to prepare a sermon for. It was, and, and you heard Bridget read it for you and maybe you understand why. It's this, here's these commands, right? 
love to sit in Colossians 3 and, and remember that we have died with Christ and we've been raised with Christ. And so our life is hidden with Christ and God. And when, when Jesus comes in glory, we're going to be revealed with him. All of those are reality. And then you come to Monday morning. And life is hard. In that same sin that you've been dealing with for 45 years, I'll be 45 this June, that same sin comes over. Or, or when you think maybe you've gotten over that sin, you know, something else comes up and like, what is this? Why is this happening to me? Sanctification, the Christian life is hard and yet it's good. Maybe you have thought, I, I've had to confess to my family even this morning, I am an angry person. I'm angrier than I knew I, I ever knew I was. And it comes out when I don't get my way or, or, or when my reputation is on, on the line. And so how does the gospel tell me to deal with my anger? The, the gospel is actually very nuanced, friends, on how to deal with sin and live a holy life. It's very nuanced. It's not just remember Christ died for your sin. It is that. In fact, Cameron sent me a, a sermon. You have on your own body a, a reminder of the gospel. These five words, Christ died for your sins. You have a promise to take with you on your fingers, and you unfold them, and you can remember. But the gospel is nuanced. How do I deal with my anger when I remember Christ died for my sins? How do I continue to work at it? How do I continue to try to get over that anger? And just like we're, we're saying, a gospel doctrine, that is remembering Christ died for my sin, creates a gospel culture, a gospel community. It produces a gospel community. And that starts when we start to deal with our sin individually and then corporately. And Paul is telling us, based on Colossians 3, 1 through 4, that they, those Colossian Christians, and by implication, the branch Christians, the Christians of Corvallis, are to deal with sin because they believed in Jesus. They joined a new age, a new reality, so they can now actually start to deal with the hard things in their life. So Paul writes some hard things in this text. He tells us that we need to take action because of who we are. Some action steps in order to live a life pleasing to God. But before he tells us about the action steps, he, he uses this word called therefore. This word therefore. And it's a connecting word, right, in, in terms of, of grammar. It, when, you know, he says, put to death, therefore, the therefore points our minds back to something else, you know, and so the really cheesy saying, when you ever see you, whenever you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what's it? Yeah, exactly, you all know it, okay? But sometimes we don't do that, so we gotta go back and we gotta look at Colossians 3, 1 through 4, and actually, Everything else Paul had said in, in chapters 1 through 3, because he laid a foundation for us. We need to fight our sin, put sin to death, therefore, or because of this new thing that's happened, this new reality that we're in, that Christ is overall, and he's brought us into that through his death and resurrection. So we, our lives are hidden with Christ and God. So the therefore points back to, you know, the sort of summary statement is chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. We have died with Christ. When Christ died, 
and you have repented of your sins and you've trusted his, his life and death and resurrection for you, when he died, the text, the Bible, Paul, by the Holy Spirit's inspiration tells us we actually died. Our unregenerate, our unregenerate man actually died when Christ died. But not only that, when Christ rose from the dead, when God rose Christ from the dead, when, when Christ rose up from the dead on his, even his own account, when he did that, we, we, we were raised with him. Unregenerate man died. Regenerate man, newborn man, new, new creature is alive in Christ. And, it, and it's so much so, so much as the, it's, we're so connected to Christ that even in future, when he returns in glory, we will appear with him. So this imperative put sin to death, to, is to fight for holiness. To fight for holiness. You have to fight for your right to be holy. All the older folks laughed at that. I don't know. It's probably not helpful. I shouldn't have said that. To fight for holiness is based on a new reality, union with Christ. You are now united to Christ, and now you can fight for holiness. And it's based on this, these two things. It's a, a positional holiness or a positional sanctification. You are, in God's eyes, already holy. You are positionally holy. So when he looks at you, he sees Jesus' own righteousness. You, you, it is as good as already done because Jesus did it. And as real as that is, because you've been united to Christ, death and resurrection, chapter 3, 5 through 11 tells us that our positional holiness is also means that we have progress, we have a progressive holiness. We have progress to make in our lives. And you know that if you live with yourself, right? You, you know that you have where there's work to be done on you in order to be more like Jesus and to be more like the person he's created you to be. And so being in Christ means we remember that we are holy and that through Christ and his work in our work, he provides strength towards more holiness. Christians you are in a new reality. You are a new man, a new woman in Christ Jesus. Therefore, live out who you are. That's what Paul is telling us. So in, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, he tells us to set our minds on things above, not on things on this earth. He's going to be fleshing that out here in three points. I, I've taken three points. One is are the actions of the new reality. This will be my longest point, okay? So... Never fear when it feels like it will never end. Point two and point three will be shorter, okay? So this is the actions of the new reality, the renewal of the new reality, and the beauty of the new reality. Because he has commanded us, and he's telling us, and Jesus wants us to fight for your right to be holy. Fight for your right to be holy. So the first action in, in chapter 3, verse 5, what's our first action? He says, put to death what is earthly in you. Now, he, he's not saying that um, your body is evil or the world is evil in and of itself. The material things are not. No, he's already told us. No, those things are good. God created them to be good. 
And we have corrupted these things by our sin, but it's sin that corrupts them, not the creation itself. So our bodies, we're not meant to be ascetics. We're not, we're, we're not meant to be those who beat our body in order to get into favor with God. We are, we are those who are to put to death what is earthly in us. Friends, sin still remains in us even though we're Christians. Maybe you've noticed that in your life that the remaining sin needs to be dealt with. It must be put to death, Paul says. And so what is the tool we must use to put sin to death? Well, it's quite simply, it's an understanding of the new reality. The the way it's it's translated in the ESV uh, is very stark, but I I think maybe something a little bit better might, might be uh, to, to understand it, to translate it as consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Consider, how, how, what's the tool to use? How, how do you put this to death? Consider the members of your earthly body as already dead to sin. With this understanding of this new reality, sin has no dominion over you. Romans uh, chapter 6 in verse 14 says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. So how do we deal with the sin that's in us? We come to understand the new reality we live in. Sin has no dominion over us. It's, think of the Emancipation Proclamation, which, which happened, you know, was put into effect uh, January 1st, 1863, two years before the sort of the war was over. Uh, Think of those slaves that were freed but didn't hear about it, who continued to act like slaves because they didn't know, or or they didn't believe it. There's there's no way this is possible. How how could this be? That, That is what Paul is telling us. That's sort of an illustration of what Paul is telling us. Don't act like that, because you know. You have you have been emancipated. You've been free. Don't act. These slave owner, the slave owner called sin and Satan has no dominion over you. Consider the members of your body as dead. John Murray said it this way: the believer's old man, right? This in chapter six, verse Romans six six, the unregenerate self, enslaved to sin, is dead once for all, never to be resurrected. He is not dead, but still alive. He's simply dead. You want a tool to fight for holiness? Reckon, consider yourself dead to sin. Your old man is dead to sin. And never to be resurrected. So when Christ died, your unregenerate self actually died. And you were raised to new life which is now able to fight sin, and one day will even be rid of the fight for sin. Hallelujah. Uh, I wish I would have heard an amen or something on that. (laughs) It's okay. Hey, by the way, feel free to say amen anytime you want. That will encourage me. Uh, It will will help me preach more boldly, but you don't have to. It's fine. I know. I know. I know we live in the Northwest. It's fine, but you're welcome to. All right, so, so that unregenerate self has actually died. And so Paul says, then put to death, because of this new reality, put to death these things. And so he gives us, he gives us two lists, one in, in verse 5 and one in verse 8. 
And he tells us these are, these are things that have to, have to end. These are things that have to be put to death because you are dead to them. Right? So in, in another way, in, in verse 8, he says, you basically, you have to take this robe off, this clothes, this outer, outer shirt off uh, of these sins. And so let's just walk through them. What are the sins that he tells us to put to death? They are sexual immorality. The King James translated that for fornication. That's basically sex outside of marriage. He says, put that off. Put it to death. Reckon yourself dead to that. He says, the next sin, impurity. Romans 1, 24, God is making a case against humanity, both the irreligious and the religious, the Jew and the Greek, the Jew and the, the Gentile, and he says this about them. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, dishonoring God with their bodies among themselves. So God gave these people up, the people that worship the creature more than the creator, he gave them over to the lusts of their own heart so that to the, the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, which meant dishonoring God with their bodies among themselves. Sexual immorality, impurity, and then passion. Romans 1.26, because these people exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped the creature rather than the creator, God gave them up to passions, to dishonorable passions in Romans 1.26. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Paul says, put that off. Put it to death. Those are sexual sins. And then he gives two other sins that are evil desires and covetousness. The evil desires, or these are desires that have become disordered because of the fall into sin. Evil desires, good desires corrupted, and even evil desires. And covetousness, which Paul says is idolatry. Covetousness, coveting someone's neighbor's, coveting your neighbor's wife or their car or their farm or, or, or whatever, their job. Paul says that is idolatry. You're bowing your knee to something other than God. So in this first list of sins, he's, he's going after adultery and idolatry and covetousness. The, the seventh commandment and the tenth commandment, which actually all of it is based in covetousness, which is idolatry. Paul's saying, you have a new reality. You worship a new, uh, you, you worship the true God. You, you are a new man, and so put those sins to death. Fight for holiness by reckoning yourself dead to those sins. He moves on to the, the second action which is not only put to death or reckon yourself, consider yourself dead to sin. He says the, new, the, the second action of this new reality is to lay it aside. It's just a, an, another way of saying, of dealing with sin. Just lay it aside. Put it, put it off. It's like if this shirt was, got dirty or, you know, uh, I fell in the mud or, or, or something, I would, I would want to take it off. So he says, you know, but now, refers back to, Verse 7, you were, you were living this way, w walking in, in sexual sins and covetousness, but now, because of the death of Jesus and, and your death in him and your resurrection with him, lay these things aside. 
So the metaphor switches from killing to undressing, taking off dirty clothes. I'll never forget when Bridget and I were first married, I used to lead songs in a church. And it was a church where you wore a suit and tie and I led songs like this. I'm not kidding you. I I know you you do not believe me, but I did. No one's laughing, but it's true. And uh, so one one day we had a, a guest speaker and he sat next to me and I, so I sat up there and I was talking to him and I was, I was uh, uh, being friendly with him and some small talk before the service started. And I just, this guy had the worst breath that I, imaginable. And I was like, I am so glad I don't have to sit next to him anymore. Um, and so I got up and I led the songs and I went down and sat by my wife. And uh, I sat down and I crossed my legs and I noticed I had dog poop on my shoes. And I thought, I thought this guy's breath smelled like that, but, and he was probably thinking the same thing about me. It's like, this guy's breath stinks. But I, I, had, I couldn't wait to get those shoes off. Taking, it's, you know, taking off those shoes because it, was, it smelled like dog poop. That's the same kind of thing. He says, take off these dirty clothes, take off those filthy shoes. And what's this list of sins? It's anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and lying. So Paul switches now to the sexual sins and the, the, the covetousness, the, the idolatry, to these sins that are inside of us, sins that are, that are exposed, that expose the idolatry of our hearts. Anger is the, is the Greek word orge. It's an explosive expression of feeling. And, and maybe you experience anger and, and, and you deal with it in different ways. Either you clam up or you explode or you give the cold shoulder. Or you can do a million different things with your anger. But James 1, 19 and 20 says, The anger of man does not display the righteousness of God. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, he says. Knowing, know this. Let every person be quick to hear slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And wrath is, is overlapping in meaning. It's, it's talking about rage, a, a building rage that, that ends in a quick temper. And James is telling us, be, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. God's anger and wrath are good and righteous. So these words can be used in noble ways. Even the Bible says in other places, be angry and sin not. How nuanced is the Bible in dealing with our sin? You can be angry, but don't sin. Malice. Malice is an attitude that wishes or does harm to another. If you've thought in your heart, man, I I really wish bad for that person, that's malice. Now, all of these are the inside. And, 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 and then he goes on to talk about the language that accompanies these inner sins, which is slander, obscene talk, and lying. Slander is blasphemy. It's the word blasphemy. It's a sin against God or a neighbor who's created in the image of God. So if you've ever gossiped about a neighbor, if you ever brought false charges or misrepresented a neighbor in a way that defames or damages another's reputation, you've been guilty of slander. And this is the language that comes out of a heart of anger, wrath, and malice. If you've ever been involved in gossip, 
about other people. You've been involved in slander. That's blasphemy against God because we're created in God's image. Obscene talk is abusive language. If you abuse people with your language in order to try to hurt them, Paul is saying, put these all away. Take them off like a dirty clo- take them off like dirty clothes, dirty shoes. Put them put them away. They don't belong to you. You have a new life, a new reality because Christ died for my sins. So why does Paul want them to take these actions? Why does he want them to kill sin and, and take it off like a, like a filthy, stinking garment? He wants them to dress for the occasion because of who they are, who God has made them to be. Now, friends, we cannot fight our sin or take our sin off in our own power. You cannot and will not fight sin with grit alone. No, we must fight our sin with grace. Did you notice that he, he does not say fight sin in order to be forgiven, in order to be loved, in order to be accepted? He says because you are loved, because you are accepted, because you are brought in by Jesus' death and, and resurrection and life, because you are these things, now put them to death. Now, take them off like dirty, stinking clothes. Dress for action. And he says, why, why does he, and, they, and he says later on in verse six, why, why do this? What are, what are the reasons for, for doing this? It's because the wrath of God is coming on, on these. Our wrath does not work the righteousness of God, but God's wrath is righteous, and it's coming. And yet, you have been saved from that wrath. You too once walked in these, these, in these sins, verse 7, but you have been saved. How do you know? Chapter 2, verse 14. God has canceled the record of debt. He will not let the wrath fall on you. So how can you give yourself to these sins any longer? That's the point. God has canceled the debt, so take off the robe of sin. Put it to death. Reckon yourself dead to that sin. Because that's not who you are. That is not who you are, dear friend. If your sin is defining you and you're letting it define you, that is not you if you are in Christ. So you should put away sexual sin and idolatry and covetousness and and anger and wrath and malice and the language that goes with those things. Just spit them out like putrid milk. Just spit it out of your mouth. Put it off. Because that's not the new reality. Fight for holiness through grace. You have been forgiven. Amen. Thank you. That's the first amen I've ever gotten. Amen. Thank you. You're welcome back anytime. The renewal, so let's move on to the renewal of the new reality. The renewal of the new reality, verses 9b and 10. Paul talked about the old self being put off and, and putting on the new self as if it has happened and that it must happen. So he says, seen, seen. So he says, do not lie to one another, seen that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul is, this is actually pictured in baptism. We had a baptism last Sunday. Baptism in the first century, they would go into the river on one side, they would take off their outer robe, 
they would go into the river, they would be baptized, they would come out the other side of the river and be given a new robe. That was to picture exactly what has happened to you. You were being renewed. I just want you to notice three things about this renewal. The passive nature, the progressive nature, and the pattern of this renewal. Notice the passive nature of this renewal. This thing that is being commanded of you is being done to you. The new self is being renewed. Did you hear the language? You have put off the old self and have put on the new self. That new self is being renewed. You are being renewed if you are in Christ Jesus. And if you say, I I don't feel like I'm being renewed, uh, it's either that you need to become a Christian you either need to finally put your full your trust in Christ and repent of your sins, or you need to you need to also put your full trust in Christ that He's doing it as a Christian, even if you don't feel it. The new self is being renewed. You are not only taking part in it by God's help, but God is doing this through you and in you. And like I said, the the picture of baptism is even in our text. Chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. This is, God is putting off your old flesh. He's putting it off. He's cutting it off by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Paul says this in another place. Friend, the the nature of this is that he is doing it to you. You notice Lindsay last week did not baptize herself. That's intentional. The church acts as God's agent to to baptize her and and, and to, to baptize all those that come to faith in Christ. He says, Paul says this in Philippians 2, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling Why should we do that? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work of his good pleasure. It's, this is a a path, the nature is passive, but it's also progressive. There's a progressive nature of this renewal. In in Philippians again, chapter one, verse six, uh, Paul says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Why do you say it like that? He who began it will bring it to completion because he knew the Philippian Christians. He knew the Christians sitting in this room in Corvallis, uh, May 22nd, 2022. Wait, is that the date? Is that right? Yeah, I think it is. Um, he knew that they would, they would wonder, is he gonna bring it to completion? Is he gonna do it? He says, I'm sure that he will. This isn't just a hope, this is a reality because of the new man, the new woman that you are. There's a progressive nature to it. So dear friend, dear saint, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Your outer man is wasting away and we're all gonna die and we're gonna be in that grave, but our inner man is being renewed day by day. Keep going. Finally, notice that the the pattern of this renewal, it is in knowledge. When Paul tells us in 
verse 10, that we are being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. In knowledge after the image of its creator. Where do you get knowledge after the image of your creator, friends? Yes, you can look out and see the beauty of the earth. And it does testify of our creator, Jesus Christ. But the place you know, the inspired place you know, the place you know that is inspired and, and, and sufficient and clear and necessary and authoritative for you is the Bible. Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, takes the word of God to change the people of God to look like the Son of God. That's what he does. So I just want to encourage you, dear friend, as you're progressing in your, in your sanctification, your holiness, in your growth, be reading scripture, maybe listening to it, meditating on it, memorizing it, immersing yourself in it, talking with other people about it after the service today or through the week. This is where you are renewed in him. And yet it is the Holy Spirit that's doing it. It's not just your reading, as if you, you, know, you get the year-long check box of, of Bible reading, so you get through the Bible in a year. You can do that and, and not learn anything about God. You cannot be renewed. It could just be words on a page to you until the Holy Spirit comes and puts life to it. The renewal happens by the Holy Spirit within us, taking his word and changing us. This is the new reality. You want to fight for holiness? Fight for your right to be holy? Read the Bible. So we, amen. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Be not conformed to this world, dear friend, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So the action of the new reality is to put to death and put off. The renewal of the new reality is by the Holy Spirit living within us, is renewing us day by day through his word and through prayer and through fellowship of the saints. Lastly, the beauty of this new reality. I told you the, the first point was the longest and now we're coming to the end here. The beauty of this new reality is in verse 11. Friend, here, verse 11 starts with here. Where's that? You guys ever read the Bible and just like, ah, what's he talking about? He says here, there is not Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Where is here? Just think. What is Paul referring to in this argument? Why, why does he say it here? The Holman uh, standard, standard Christian Bible, I think that's what it is, uh, translates this for us here in Christ. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. You want to know the beauty of the new reality that will help you fight for holiness is a new humanity. It's you, dear friend. Especially if you, those of you connected to a local church through membership, it is you. Do you want to fight for holiness? Do it with brothers and sisters in arms. This is, 
This is one of the reasons we, we go to the shop and we, we work out, right, with other people. It's shared misery, right? <laughs> uh, but in the Christian life, it's shared joy and shared sorrows. We do this together. The beauty of the new humanity is the church. It's, it's you. And, and where, where we are in Christ, we are new creations. There are no distinctions. Not, not in relation to Christ. We bring in our personality, we bring in our, our gender, we bring in our background, all of that. But with Christ, none of that stuff offers up anything to him in order of acceptance. So you notice there's no ethnic distinction. There's no Jew or Greek. A, a massive thing has been done in the cross, the temple uh, the, the temple curtain has been torn and, it, and it's opened up the way for all kinds of people, every tribe, tongue, and language, not only Jew, but also Gentile and Greek, to come together in one new man. There's no ethnic distinctions. There's no barbarian or Scythian. You know, Greeks divided up the, the world into Greeks and barbarians. There, barbarians were people that spoke like bar, 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 bar. I'm just kidding. I think, maybe that's true, I don't know, but I, I think that was supposed to be a joke. Uh, but they're, you know, they, they spoke this way, and, and, uh, and then the Scythians came, and they, and they conquered um, the Fertile Crescent, and, and they were even more barbarian than, than the other people. They were, they were like ultra-barbarians. And, and so Paul is saying, in Christ, there's none of that. You don't look at each other and say, educated, uneducated, male, female. Jew, Greek, there's no ethnic distinctions. We're all one in Christ, no matter our ethnicity, our color, the way we speak, whether we're from the South or you know, we're, we're from the Northwest, we think we don't have an accent or, or we're from another country, we're from Africa, it doesn't matter. We're all one in Christ through this new reality. There's no religious distinctions, no circumcised, uncircumcised, none of that. No, 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 no re religious rights can make you right with God. Only Jesus can. He is all in all. There's no class distinctions. A new people of God. Friend, you are not alone. Paul, and, and uh, sort of to end this, Paul, Paul says there's neither slave nor free. And he writes one, a one-page letter to a man named Philemon. And Paul sends Onesimus, this runaway slave, Philemon's runaway slave, he sends him back to Philemon, and he tells Philemon, don't treat him as a slave any longer. You must treat him as a brother in Christ. Would Onesimus still do slave duties? Probably. But it's also likely that Onesimus was a leader in the church there. And Philemon would have to submit to him as an elder or, or a leader in that church. So send him back to the former owner, now as a brother. This is the Christian life, friends. And as Christians were being martyred in the early centuries, the slaves and their masters who, who came to Christ together were now arms in arms being, arm in arm being killed together. And you know what people said? Look how they love one another. Look at this. How they love one another. This is what the church, this is the beauty of the new reality. We are all one in Christ. Why? Because Christ is over all. Christ is all and in all. You don't need religious rights, friends. 
You don't need anyone telling you what food you can, you can eat and what, what you can and can't drink. You don't need anyone telling you to, to, to fast. You don't need anyone telling you to beat your body into submission. You need Christ. He's all and in all. And he has made this new humanity. Friends, fight for your right to be holy. You must take action in the power of Christ. Reckon yourself dead to sin. Put on the noose, put off the old self. You you will be and are being renewed in that new reality as you turn to him over and over again in repentance and faith. And as the word opens himself up to you and you open to it, you will see the beauty of this new reality. You are not alone. Let's pray. Father, we pray for a joyful battle against our sin realizing that we have contributed to the hurt in this world. Help us to do this for Christ's sake. Amen. Now, friends...